0: Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player striving to play advanced-level works one day, specifically Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week, we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within and hopefully we all walk away a little more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 15.2, the second episode in a series where we are exploring the many moods of Chopin, expressed through his seminal opus number 28. This opus is a collection of 24 preludes, one for every major and minor key, each one a specific facet of Chopin's character. We spent last week discussing two preludes on polar opposite ends of the mood spectrum, but in this episode, we're going to explore two that are thematically and musically linked. I mentioned last week that this prelude collection can be subdivided into categories, like the idyllic prelude number 1 and the elegiac prelude number 4 from last episode. Out of the 24 preludes from the set, two of them are categorized as hymnic preludes, number 9 and number 20, and those are the two that we are going to focus on today. The hymnic preludes are the most solemn and lofty ones. They're slow moving, set in a lower register, and are full of blocked heavy chords. These are the closest that Chopin gets to writing religious music. So let's start today with prelude number nine in E major. Von Bulow bestowed upon this prelude a vague title of visions. Now E major is one of the brightest, energetic sounding keys. It is the key of quarrelsome, boisterous, incomplete pleasure. Shouts of joy, complete delight, yet bickered, short-fused, and ready to fight. It's also a good key to use to arouse feelings of grandeur, which serves Prelude Number 9 well. This prelude is a slow-moving march with a proud chord structure, resembling the tolling of bells. As we continue to discuss Chopin's preludes, we're going to find the theme of bells, a common motif unifying the set of music. And it makes a lot of sense given where this music was being written. If you recall from last week, Chopin left Paris during the winter of 1838 for the island of Majorca. He was chronically ill and hoped that the warmer weather would suit him better than the cold and wet Parisian winter. Upon arrival to Majorca, however, He was formally diagnosed with tuberculosis, and the locals feared this contagion, rightfully so, and they refused to allow Chopin to stay in the more populous areas of the island. So he was sequestered to the smaller town of Valdemosa, where he stayed in a secluded monastery, a monastery fully equipped with a bell tower. These bell tolls that he heard throughout the day naturally found themselves entwined into his own prelude writing. And, because of the nature of the preludes themselves, the bells took on a variety of tones and moods. Prelude number 9, written in E major, exudes a grand, majestic tone, emulating the monastery bells. Following the hymnic prelude template, you'll hear that the piece is set in a lower register with both hands shifted to the left of the keyboard. Chopin also makes use of an ornament carried over from the Classical and Baroque periods known as the trill. A trill is a wavering between the note it's written for and the note above it. And you actually hear one every time you listen to an episode of this podcast, because Rhapsody in Blue opens with a trill. But rather than use a trill to adorn a melody line, like it was used in music prior to this, Chopin places it in the bass line for effect It adds a percussive quality to the music. And yes, I know the piano is technically a percussion instrument, but it actually kind of reminds me of a cymbal roll. Here's the part I'm talking about. I think the trills add to the grand feeling of the prelude. Von Bulow named this one Visions, but this time, I don't have a theory on how to interpret his title. To me, this prelude seems like an anthem for Chopin's pride. Music fitting for a grand lion, like Mufasa from The Lion King, or maybe an elephant. But let's see where you would place it in the animal kingdom. This is the ninth prelude, in E major, from Chopin's Opus 28. And once again, we are going to shift from a major to a minor key. The second prelude of the day is number 20, in C minor. The prelude von Bülow titled, Funeral March. While this is the shortest prelude in the entire opus by the number of measures, its slow tempo doesn't make it the shortest one in length. It's also one of the easiest preludes to play, technically speaking and happens to be one of Chopin's most celebrated works. In fact, it's not only well-regarded by general audiences, but it also inspired future composers. Busoni and Rachmaninoff both wrote a theme and variations composition based upon this very prelude. So let's dive into one of the most influential preludes in the set. First, let's discuss the key it's written in. C minor. The key of innocently sad lovesickness. Declarations of love and lamenting lost love or unhappy relationships. It's languishing and full of longing, a soul in search of something different. This gives an interesting flavor to the piece. It definitely feels sad, tragic even, and von Bülow's nickname of funeral march suggests a theme of death. But this is not to be confused with the popular funeral march from Chopin's second piano sonata, which he wouldn't write for another year, although this prelude could definitely be seen as a precursor. The key of C minor definitely jives with what Chopin was experiencing at this time. Coming to terms with his tuberculosis diagnosis and his own mortality, grave music like this probably flowed pretty readily from Chopin's pen. For example, see Prelude Number no. 4 from last week. But this explanation of C minor may also suggest a romantic despair, which Chopin was stock full of. While Chopin traveled to Majorca with his new lover, George Sand, as a sort of honeymoon, even though the pair was neither engaged nor married, Chopin was still harboring feelings from his broken engagement to Maria Vodchinska, a woman who shared his affections, but whose family forbade her to marry Chopin. If you'd like to hear the details of this sad love story, check out episode 7.4 from season 1, featuring Chopin's farewell waltz to Maria. So this prelude may be another representation of Chopin's struggle with accepting his own mortality, but it also may be him processing his emotions of a love lost, finally putting that broken relationship to bed, and attempting to start anew. In order to express these feelings musically, Chopin employs a similar blueprint as the other hymnic prelude that we just listened to, number 9. Number 20 is a slow-moving prelude set in a lower register with heavy, blocked chords, so much so that this prelude is actually nicknamed the Chord Prelude. And while it is only 13 bars long, it can be split into an A and a B section, mainly separated by distinct dynamic contrast. The prelude opens with a marking of fortissimo, meaning very loud, with heavy plodding minor chords, perfectly calling von Bulow's title of funeral march to mind. Then the floor drops out, with dynamic contrast from fortissimo all the way down to piano, with a more tender B section, where you can almost hear the influence of those monastery bells, fulfilling that hymn-like quality. The softened B section is repeated a second time for dramatic effect, and our little 13-bar prelude is complete. It's simplistic, solemn, and mournful, all fitting for a prelude about putting a relationship to bed, or coming to terms with your own mortality. This is Funeral March, the 20th prelude in C minor, from Chopin's Opus 28. So today we took a look at the more solemn side of Chopin, with the two hymnic preludes from the set. Next week, we're going to head in a bit of a different direction and talk about two preludes linked to rainfall, including the most popular prelude in the bunch. You can find the standalone recordings of the pieces we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all of the tracks heard on this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at PianoRhapsody or email me at podcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or reviewing. It's also the easiest way to never miss a new episode, and it helps the podcast gain more visibility within the search algorithms. Thanks as always for your time and your ears, and remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind. Have a good week and talk to you next time.